people who are facing persecution for their faith. And of course, the title is You Are With Me, and the Psalm, or the 23rd Psalm, is our text. Now, Are You With Me is a very powerful question. Whether it's asked by a child having a nightmare or in a, going through the night or some type of experience during the night, they're kind of scared, they're scared of the dark, or by an adult that's facing immediate crisis. The presence of another person adds great comfort, reassurance, and relief. What greater value is added to the life of biblical disciples than when God Almighty is with us? And the shepherd's declaration we find in verse 4 of Psalm 23 offers a view of God that brings hope and courage to the committed believer that they may continue living sacrificially for Christ Jesus our Lord, no matter the situation, circumstances, or conditions. Now, I ask you to play that video again. This is the story of a man named Abdudrilli and his story about living sacrificially for Christ. Abdullahi Ahmed was a student attending an Islamic school when he came to a life-changing realization. The answer he was looking for wasn't Muhammad. It was Jesus. I was brought up to believe that Islam is in my blood, in my thinking, in my heart and everything. But in the other way, God has a purpose and a plan for me. And despite pressure and persecution, he enrolled in a Bible college and immediately started preaching the gospel. I was persecuted. I was set away. Then I was beaten up. I was set away from home. All sorts of bad things were done to me. My own life was in danger. Abdullahi got married, became a family man, and his ministry began to grow. And on February 7, 2013, he was gunned down by three assassins on a street in northern Kenya. People who didn't understand their commitment to the gospel were shocked at his wife Helen's response to the murder of her husband. We have a triumphant God, and we know he's going to triumph in this situation. Long before he was murdered, Abdullahi showed that he would pay any price for his obedience to Christ. Almost immediately following his conversion, he was beaten. At one point, a mob of 40 people came to his mother's house seeking to kill him. He escaped and later said, They were like a cat, and I was a mouse in my own hometown. He moved to Niger for three years and focused his ministry on the Tuareg tribe. And then, overwhelmed with compassion for his own Somali people, he moved to Garissa, 95 miles from the failed state and terrorist hotbed of Somalia. In Garissa, the threats began again almost immediately. A mob of Muslims came to Abdullahi and Helen's house with gas cans, intending to burn it down. When we received death threats, Helen would say later, we'd pray together and that would give us peace because God said he would be with us. Finally, more than two decades after putting his faith in Christ, three assassins shot him to death as he talked with another pastor in the center of Garissa. Abdullahi's ministry was powerful. Returning to Garissa years later, 
Helen was surprised to learn that Abdulali's reputation had spread. She was told that every Somali knows about his witness. His influence is still felt throughout the entire Somali Christian community. We have found Somali Christians that have been inspired by his story all over East Africa, and even in Europe and the United States. On this day of the Christian martyr, we celebrate the life and ministry of men and women around the world like Abdulali. In spite of threats, persecution, and even in the face of death, they do not run away. They joyfully embrace risk and danger to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You can find his story in more detail on Voice of the Martyrs, VOM online and they're constantly keeping track of our fellow brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution. Um, I hope that as we walk through this 23rd Psalm that we take a, a more wider view of Christianity, that Christianity is not limited to a, a state or to a country. It transcends culture. It transcends nations. And yes, we have our problems here in the United States of America, but we also have unprecedented freedom to share the good news, to evangelize, and to come and to worship. And the 23rd Psalm is widely accepted to be written by David and is beloved by Christians all around the world. It's a song of confidence and trust in the Lord. The words of the psalm reveal theological treaties and practical outcomes of, excuse me, for the reader. And as we walk through the 23rd Psalm, allow Abijuali's story to guide you or guide your focus to the God of the Psalm more than the shepherd of the Psalm. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd. Now that Hebrew word translated Lord is Yahweh. It's also translated as Jehovah. American Standard Translation translates it that way. Now, a biblical scholar named Thomas Newberry says Jehovah combines three tenses of the Hebrew verb to be. Now, bear with me as I try to pronounce some of this Hebrew. Yehi, translated he will be. That's talking about the future. Hov, that translated being, talking about the presence. And Hayah, translated he was, talks about the past. Now, if you take the first three letters of Yehi, which is Y-E-H, the middle two letters of Hav, which is O-V, and the last two letters of Hayah, which is A-H, you have Yehovah, or we pronounce it Jehovah. And here's the point of that whole exercise. The name signifies God as the one who is, who was, and who is to be. In other words, God is the eternal one. So the Lord, the eternal one, the one who was, who is, and will be, is my shepherd. 
You see the thrust of that statement. Now it's not enough to know him as a shepherd. That equates him with many of founders of many different rural religions. It's not enough to know him as the shepherd because that just separates him apart from everybody else. To know him as your shepherd, you must have a personal relationship with him. Therefore, I'm not talking about he's a shepherd, he's this shepherd. No, you don't understand. He's my shepherd. 23rd Psalm goes on. I shall not be in want. Or I shall not want. There is nothing I lack. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lays me beside quiet waters. The Lord shares His own resources, His own restfulness, His peace with His people. They have no worries. He undertakes looking after everything for them. This is something that the world cannot give and therefore the world cannot take it away. You ever face a circumstance or a crisis and you feel in your heart you should be freaking out, but yet the peace of God calms your spirit and calms your soul. Don't make light of the situation, but you know that He is with you. The Lord Jesus shares His life, puts His unlimited resources at our disposal, His incomparable rest or His peace. He is the great shepherd. He cares for us as though we were the sole care and concern He has in the entire universe. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Again, in Psalm 144, 3. O Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you think of him? Think about that for a second. All the people in the world, on this planet, God loves you. Individualize this. Think about it. Personalize it. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures beside quiet waters. It goes on, He restores my soul. He renews my life. He renews my strength. In Hebrew, it literally means brings back my soul. And that's the point of the parable of the lost sheep that we find in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. The lost sheep. Sheep are not very smart. Not like some other animals. In fact, the characteristics of sheep, they're kind of stupid. And the Bible calls you and I sheep. You see, sheep wander away. They don't know why they wander away. They just do. And they cannot find their way back. So you're reading the parable, the good shepherd goes after that one, leave the 99 and goes after the one that is lost because the one that is lost cannot find his way home. We do the same thing. There's an old hymn that goes, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We have that tendency. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and following puts it this way. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. We can't help ourselves. Which leads right into the next 
line of the psalm. He guides me or he leads me in the past, literally in the Hebrew, tracks of righteousness for his name's sake. We cannot walk in the path of righteousness on our own strength. So he puts his life in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why is that? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as my brother Roger was praying just a moment ago, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, God does not see all those rags. He sees that purity because the precious blood of Christ covers your sin. Pick your head up a little bit this morning, would you? You are a child of God, a son or daughter of the Most High God. And the world cannot take that away from you. It is yours. And he holds you tightly in his hands. Then we come to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though those words speak to the certainty of the valley, for every follower of Christ, for every biblical disciple of Christ, the valley walk is going to happen. Now the psalmist is not making a complaint here. He is making a declaration of its reality. Be prepared, people. There's going to be valleys that we're going to walk through. And there are different types of valleys that we all experience. For example, the valleys of circumstance for living in a fallen world. Illness. Harm coming to you from another person. Disasters. We see that when we watch the news. There's valleys brought on by sinful behavior. Self-induced illnesses and disease from living a life that's not God-honoring. You can become a glutton and eat yourself to death. you got people taking drugs. you got people running around sleeping with everybody and not in the covenant of marriage. There's things that can happen to you when you're wrapped up in simple behavior. And there's valleys that happen because we face opposition for being disciples of Christ. And that's Abdul-Dwelly's story. Suffering for the sake of Christ's name or suffering for righteousness' sake. We are called. How many Christians do we have? Raise your hands. I see we have all Christians there, it looks like. You and me are called to pick up our cross daily. And the cross is not a piece of jewelry that you hang around your neck. You know the first century cross was rough it was tough it wasn't sanded down it stood as a form of public execution for the worst of the worst we are to pick up that cross daily and follow him and die to ourselves die to what we want die to our pride and put him first and foremost in our lives and as I preach, I am to die to myself, not preaching what I want, not my opinions, not my theories, but his word and his word alone. Jesus told us, you'll have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. The early church experienced opposition, do you know? There was more persecution to the church during the 20th century than all the first century combined. This is what I'm guilty. I'm so guilty of looking down and having blinders on, looking at 
the United States of America and looking at Texas and looking at the county. And I forget to step back to see what God's doing worldwide. That there's brothers and sisters of Christ who are dying for their faith because they dare to live it out. I walk. Those words speak to the pace of the valley. Keeping up with sheep on a daily basis trains a person to walk through difficult terrain. And that, that walk, that just not running, but just walking, that pace also allows you to save up energy that you're going to need. Especially a shepherd to meet the rigors of shepherding. And for every disciple facing persecution, there's not often an easy or quick resolution. You know that as well. Unlike the 30-minute sitcoms we see on TV, everything gets solved in 30 minutes or less. Everybody's happy. How often does that happen in your life? Very few, if any at all. Here's the point. Our endurance can be tested when we're walking through a valley. That pace of the walk is accompanied by the presence of the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Since I've been here as your pastor, Seven years November. Tammy and I have experienced some afflictions. We experienced some valleys. The death of our parents. And you guys came around us and comforted. With that comfort that comes from God. I can't tell you. How much that means. When people come around you. And show you comfort. But knowing the God of all comfort is there with you. He's promised never to leave you. Nor forsake you. The valley of the shadow of death speaks to the darkness of the valley. See, the valley was the most vulnerable place for a shepherd because as the sun started to set, the mountains would block the valley. The shepherd couldn't see real well. and That made him aware of danger. This danger can even lead to death in some circumstances. But I want you to know the dark valley is ordained by God just as the green pastures and the quiet waters of verse 2. But look back again at that line. Through the valley. That speaks to the victory of the valley. See that word hope. I mean, excuse me, that word through. There's hope. In any case, it does not end in death. God provides a victory for the one walking through the valley, either in this life or eternity. In either scenario, disciples experience victory in the valley walk. Abdullah and many like that have figured that out. In this life or the next, I'm covered by God. The Apostle Paul had that figured out. I'd rather depart from you and be with the Lord Jesus, but I want to stay here at the same time. He knew what awaited him. He knew it was just simply passing over. And when you really live that out, it brings freedom. It brings a certain 
conviction that why am I so scared? Death has been swallowed up. Sin has been taken care of. Jesus has defeated the grave. As painful as it is for us, it's just a a simple, temporary uh, goodbye. Look what he says, continuing on the 23rd, 23rd Psalm. I fear no evil, I feel no harm or danger, for you are with me. What is the origin of evil that we face? Well, the fallen world. The world is not what God intended it to be. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. And sin has been weighing upon creation ever since it came into the world. In fact, we read in the in scriptures that the creation even longs and agonizes to be set free from the effects of sin. You also have the enemy, Satan, the father of lies who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And of course, our own flesh, human desires, or affections that are not subjected to the Holy Spirit. Those are some of the evils that we face, but what kind of choices do we make regarding fear? Fearing other people is a trap. Boy, this speaks volumes to me. Because no person has any power over me. What can that person do to me? Kill me? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. <laughs> Why am I so fearful about what other people think and say and do? We fear our circumstances. Well, if God's in control, we don't have to, have, we don't have to worry. We don't have to have anxiety. He's walking through us, walking with us. We need to trust God in all the, all the situations and our circumstances. The psalmist goes on to 23rd. He says, You're, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows or it runs over. What God did for Israel in the wilderness. He spread a table before them in, <laughs> in defiance of their foes. He sustained them on their journey home to the promised land. He fed the manna. You know what manna means? Really? What is it? <laughs> they didn't know. But God took care of them. Even when they rebelled against him and that generation died off, he didn't leave them by themselves. He still took care of them. He sustained them. And God is going to sustain you on your journey to the way home. What is home? Is this place our home? Oh, say it was conviction. Is this place our home? No. Our home's in heaven. There is a song I heard some years ago by Michael W. Smith called Welcome Home. I don't know who he wrote the song about. Someone he was close to him passed away. And in the song he talks about, I can hear the angels tell you, welcome home. And of course, the psalm ends... Surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy will follow me or pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. C.H. Spurgeon called goodness and mercy God's footmen. Now back in his day, when when a wealthy man had traveled, he had footmen with him and their footman job was to go in and make sure the hotel was ready, open up the open the cars, I mean the carriages for him, everything. They were to go before him, make sure everything was okay. That's what the footmen did for wealthy people back in Spurgeon's day. And he calls goodness and mercy God's footmen. Why did he say that? Because they follow us just like those footmen to smooth our journey home. And here it is. 
Goodness takes care of my steps. Mercy takes care of my stumbles. Let me repeat that. Goodness takes care of my steps, and mercy takes care of my stumbles. Even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, I feel no evil, for you are with me. And that's the name of this message, you are with me. So what are our results of realizing that God is with you in the valley? You have God's provision. You see that in verses 1 and 5. God leading your life in verses 2 and 4. You see restoration in verse 3. You see comfort in verse 4. You see God's presence in verse 4. You see goodness and mercy in verse 6. And you have eternity in the house of the Lord also in verse 6. A lot of our brothers and sisters who face persecution and death, I believe, really understand this psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, Abdul received the blessing of God's presence even in the face of death. Because God was with him, he continued to serve the Lord faithfully, even, even paying the ultimate price, giving his life for the sake of Christ. Now, I'm not trying to make mo- most, much of him. He's just a man, just like me, and a lot of men in this room. But he was faithful. And he was faithful even in the face of death. You know, I, I like to think that if it came down to it, I'd have the faith to stand up. If someone had a gun to my head, I hope I never have to face that. But, brothers and sisters, I'll be honest with you. Persecution is ramping up in this country. I'm glad we'd be called names, but we don't have someone trying to burn our house down or kill us at this point. But Jesus said we will have tribulations. We will have trials. It really comes down to that, right? I, I like what I saw this the other day. A guy was talking, witnessing to an atheist. And he says, when you talk about I believe, what type of belief are you talking about? Here's what he meant. How can you say I believe in God? I believe in Jesus. But if that's all I say, and there's no action backing it up, then that's, a, that's not really belief, is it? To really have belief, you have to follow it up with action. In other words, if I believe in God, I believe in Christ, and there should be some result that makes on my life. If not, it's just empty talk. It doesn't mean anything. Because when life squeezes you, which it does, where are you going to go? Who are you going to turn to? God is right there beside you. What is God calling you to do right now in this moment? You know, God's still in the business of calling out the called. Future preachers, missionaries, teachers, educators. He's still in that business. And I'll tell you from my own personal experience, I keep saying this, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, I have learned that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. If you just step out in faith, 
Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you have a personal relationship with him? The everlasting God? The eternal one? The one who was, who is, and will be? Is he your shepherd? Because if he is, you can truly say those words with David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quieter waters. He restores my soul. There's a lot of truth there. And I pray as we go about this week that you'll go back and look at that psalm. Ponder it deep in your heart. Now is our time to respond. If you'd like to come up and pray, go right ahead. We call this an altar, not because we sacrifice animals or anything on it, because that's where we lay down our lives. We just sing about, take my life and let it be. Remember that song? That's where we lay it down. And that pressure you're feeling right now is God saying, hey, you need to let go of that. Give it to me. Let me take care of it. And know else I found? There is freedom in letting go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for our faithful brothers and sisters here at home and around the world that are putting all on the line for your gospel. Father, you have blessed each and every one of us here this morning, you blessed this church. Uh, Father, you put us in a position where we can reach out to those in our community and in the county and state and theater around the country, even around the world. Uh, you've put us in a place where we have unprecedented freedom to evangelize and to share with people your good news. You've Put us in a place where we can minister to those who are broken, those who are hurting. But Father, we know it all begins right here in this moment. It means that we must let go of our pride and die to ourselves. That you will truly be Lord of our lives. Father, I pray that you give us courage and boldness to answer your call on our lives. We thank you that you love us and care about us so much. That you never leave us nor forsake us. In the midst of our valley, you're right there. I pray that you comfort my brothers and sisters with that knowledge in this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please?